Stephen kicked us off last night with an incredible teach as we come into a weekend on calling. I can't tell you how incredibly uh, life-giving and refreshing it is for me to start a weekend that's, that's focused and wants to talk and really think about what does it look like to be called by God and to live that calling out in, in, a, in a faithful and obedient way and to start with a conversation not about calling really, not about what we do, not, but about who we are, who God has made us to be. And I, Stephen, thank you for last night. I, I think I can probably extend that on behalf of many. Just such clear, healthy teaching from the gospel of God about who we are and finding that really at the very beginning we were created to bear his image, called to be image bearers. And, you know, it's, we, before we do anything at all, just here I am. And God of the universe is uh, witnessed to by the, you know, fearfully and wonderfully madeness of Chad. It's a really beautiful place to start. This morning, I want to take from that place, and I would like to lead us in. If I titled um, my teach this morning, I would have titled it Fire in Our Bones. So here it comes. This is, you get to find out why we named this conference such a bizarre na- name. When we, when we named it, we knew that this is what God was doing. And what happened was I was actually on a phone call with a good friend of mine who's a bishop uh, and has really walked with me this year. For me, has been incredible on so many fronts, but it's been incredibly challenging on a lot of fronts as well. And uh, Bishop Thad has been such a gift to me. Um, I meet with him about every four to six weeks to just talk, and he takes care of my heart. And Father Stevens had the same joy. And um, I was in a call with him one day, and he's kind of speaking into my life, and we're talking and praying. And he said to me, he said, Chad, do you know what you're called to? Do you know what the call of God is on your life? And I immediately, and I grew up in a charismatic church, and we talked about these things all the time, and I've known what my calling was, and if I didn't, I was told what it was many times. And so when he asked me that question, I, without thinking, I very quickly said, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and Thad had my number, which he often does. He says, oh really? Oh, that's great. What is it? And I actually started to cry. I just was overwhelmed suddenly by the truth of the situation. I was like, oh, I think I've lost hold of that. I think, and he just looks in the Zoom screen, he goes, yeah. He goes, Chad, it's important, actually, that you know the call of God on your life. And when I say that, he said to me, what I mean is like a fire put in your bones by the Holy Spirit. And I just about fell out of my chair. I went, oh. So I started to pray about that. And over the last four or five months, God has been so meeting me in that place. And as I've I've prayed that the Lord would put a fire in my bones, that I would have a clear sense of what it is that God has called me to. But that very quickly became evident to me that as God was doing a very personal and beautiful work in my own life and for, for my sake, that he was wanting to do the same thing in us as a church. And that he was doing it in all kinds of people's lives. I would go out for coffee with many of you, and we would sit down and we would talk, and I'd realize, wow, you're asking the same questions. Why am I here? What am I doing? As I step into a new season of life or into a new place of work, or I see these places, it's like, I want to do this in a way that matters. You know, we were created for a purpose. We were created on purpose, for purpose. We were created with intention, to live intentionally. God, when he made you, we, the things we can see. I mean, we all look so different, right? And there's these pieces in which we're unique. None of us exactly the same. When I was a kid, I always was fascinated by this idea that no one has the same fingerprints. You know, this just amazes me. I think we just hit 8 billion people in the world. Can you, I still, I'm a bit like, whoa. Most of them live um, with my friend Sonny in India. <laughs> and if you're not sure if there's that many people, you should just go visit my friend Sonny. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people in this world. And none of them have the same fingerprint. And that's just now. But for thousands of years, God's been creating. And no one's ever had just this uniqueness. 
the reality of it is it goes far deeper than our physical bodies. It goes far deeper than things like our identifiable fingerprints. It goes right down to the very fabric of our beings and who we are. That there's a uniqueness and intentionality and different ways in which we embody the heart of God, our creator. That when we, Stephen talks about imaging God, we all image him in slightly different ways. And so I'm so excited to have Brian with us today. Uh, and I'm really, really thankful for him in my life as a friend. Uh, and as a co-laborer in the gospel. I'm really excited. I feel like those of you who are kind of 55 plus and can come and be part of this session, I brought, I brought Brian here. What Merry Christmas. This is my gift to you today. And part of why I say that is because I've experienced some of what you're going to experience today is you just hear a man share authentically from his life. And in those spaces, Brian images God to me in ways that I would never see God if I didn't have Brian in my life. Isn't that amazing? And so the question starts to come, and Thad asked me, and I found myself at a loss. I don't want to answer that question in my own strength. I want it the way that Thad described it like a fire in my bones set there by the Holy Spirit. I feel like if I come up with it, and those of you who know me know I can come up with ideas left, right, and center. If I come up with 100, there's probably a good one in there somewhere. But when the Spirit moves, the one who created me and breathed life into me in my beginning and continues to breathe life into me day by day, oh man, that's what I want. And that was the, the hunger, or maybe even in the moment with that, the pain point. The reason for the tear was a mix of sorrow, having realized, oh, I've lost that somewhere. But also at the very same time, tears of joy because there was a hope rising in me. That the Holy Spirit does that. He's a fire starter. And I thought, okay, Lord, let's pray. The book of Philippians, this letter to the church there, becomes this beautiful letter in light of the things that God has been speaking to me. And our theme verse for the conference this week is from Philippians 1.27, where Paul encourages us to let the manner of our life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I want to focus there today as I teach. I'm going to keep bringing us back to this encouragement from Paul. I think it's central to the letter. Do you have clarity about your calling today? Because in the same way that we image Christ in a general way, there is also a way in which as individuals and together as a corporate body, God is wanting to show himself to the world. He's wanting us to walk out the call of God to follow me, this call of God to come in intimate um, presence and walk with Christ and to walk with the gospel of Jesus like a fire in our bones. And the question becomes then, I pass it on to you, do you have clarity of calling like a fire in your bones put there by the Holy Spirit? Do you wake up in the morning with a sense that, okay, God, let's do this. Do you walk into your encounters with the baristas at Starbucks wondering what God might do? Do you raise and love your children thinking this is holy work? Do you pray and come to the scriptures with divine expectation? My guess is that for some of you, you're feeling some of the same things I did. Maybe a little bit of sorrow at the loss of some things. Maybe some frustration at what seems like an inability to take hold of what I'm describing. But I pray too you're also feeling a little bit of the hope right now as the Spirit is moving. But just maybe God wants to do something today. Let's pray. I'm going to stop a few times as we go this morning to pray. And first of all, I want us just to stop, and we've already done this a bit this morning, but in light of that question, I think it's important for us to respond already. And so if we would just take a moment, and where you are, if, if you're open to walk this journey with me this morning, would you just take a posture of openness? So you can figure out what that looks like for you. If you need some suggestions, maybe you would open your hands to the Lord to say, my life, here I am, God. 
And in some ways to open our lives up and say, God, if you want to set some fire in these bones, I'm giving you permission right now. I'm opening my life up to say, I trust you, Jesus. Whatever you have for me today, God, whatever you want to do in our lives, whatever you want to breathe on, however you want to set and, and, and to, to tend to fire, we pray, God, that you would come today and we just say right now, Father, to the best of our ability, and we will be honest that for some of us, it's, it's hard to fully just do this, but to the best of our ability, we say right now, God, you do what you want to do. We ask that it be real. We ask that it be authentic. We commit, Lord, to be honest. But we come with divine expectation, ready and allowing for the possibility that you want to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. So, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Um, I went this week and I spent a couple days on Galliano Island in a little cabin on the ocean and spent some time in prayer and um, just sort of kind of going where we're going to go this morning myself and just praying and kind of being, being with the Lord. And when you walk into the, I, I usually am at this cabin, I've been there a number of times, and I'm usually there um, in this time of year when it's a bit colder, especially right on the ocean, it's, you know, and so the very first thing you do when you go into the cabin is you light the fire because it's freezing, you know. Um, but you light this fire and then you just keep that fire going for two days. And, you know, by the time I'm done, I'm in a tank top with the doors open because it's a tiny cabin and you're just like overdone it, you know. And it's like, wow. And you're thinking like, if this was electric heat or oil heat, you can hear your mom going, close the door. But it's like, it's not. It's just trees. We got tons of them. We can just... You know, so you're just like, this is amazing. You know, you're just living and you're feeling the effects and the, the effectiveness of that fire. And as I prayed and I, I, I prepared for this weekend, I knew this weekend was coming, but I also just really tried to put that aside for a while and say, God, before we go there, I need to meet with you. And as I took care of this fire, the Lord began to speak to me. And I've said this many times, and I'm a simple guy. Um, I don't think anyone's, you know, ever going to be looking to publish massive amounts of my deep academic theological writings. You know, like it's just, you know, um, I, I lean on people for that. You know, my good friend Mark here is, is here with us. He teaches at PLBC. It's, I'm so glad for guys like this, right? Because I get to say, I'm thinking this, am I right? <laughs> you know, like we just work these things out. But at the same time, I'm a simple guy. I, these simple things. And so when the Lord begins to speak to me in the simple action of lighting and tending a fire over two days, that's such a gift. Because I love fire. Probably when I was a kid, I liked it a little too much. We used to light all kinds of things on fire. As I go to Philippians then, and we come back to the passage that we're looking at, and then we're going to talk about this, what God started to speak to me as I took care of this fire. The question for me is, if we're talking about this idea of a fire in our bones, like God coming and speaking to our, who we are, but then out of that beginning to call us to unique places of embodying that and walking that out, living out of that place with passion, with zeal, with, with conviction, like a fire in our bones. The question for me as I re read this letter became, what burns in the bones of the Apostle Paul? As he writes this letter to this church, Paul is a passionate guy. Paul is a zealous man, right? He was from the minute we are introduced to him before he comes in relationship, he's just been a zealous man. And as he writes to the Philippians, man, you read this letter. Bishop Dan was here a couple of weeks ago, and he preached out of this same letter, and he encouraged us to read the whole letter. And he said it only takes 10 minutes. Um, he said that because that's, it probably won't take longer than that. Probably won't even. I encourage you over this weekend, read the whole letter and pay attention to some of the things Paul says. He says some pretty intense stuff. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. No longer I who live, 
Christ lives in me. And it's like, what? Like, we, we're so familiar with these texts that you fail to think, wait, just stop for a second. And don't only hear what he's saying, but look at his life. He means it. The letter of Philippians was written by Paul from jail. He writes this letter, and I want you to keep that context in mind as we talk about this fire in his bones, because I think it helps us to realize there's a fire in this guy's bones. Because I think most of us in his situation would feel highly justified to not live from the fire in our bones. Right? Most of us would be really wrestling with things like self-pity, questions of like God's faithfulness. Like there, right? it would, and these things start to kind of like the fire just starts to die. But Paul, as you read this letter, you realize there is an unquenchable fire in this guy's bones. He's like, jail? Perfect. Let's tell people about Jesus in jail. <laughs> like, okay. He just doesn't stop. Paul's in prison and he's writing. I get the sense there's this fire in his bones. And God spoke to me. He says, Chad, for a fire, I'm staring at a fire. And he says, Chad, for a fire to do its job, for a fire to work and to burn effectively, it needs four things. First of all, a fire needs fuel. Something has to burn. See, simple man. <laughs> this is not rocket science. But I thought, okay. So then in Paul's life and in my life, God, what's the fuel? What's burning in Paul's life? And I'm kind of reverse engineering something I love about Paul. I love his life. I love the impact. I love the way he speaks, the way he talks to people, the way he... The, the passion, there's things that I really, I, I, I really admire. And so I reverse engineer and I go, what's burning that's creating that kind of heat? What's, what's the fuel? Well, nine times in four chapters, a short letter, like we said, we can read it in eight to ten minutes. Nine times Paul uses the word gospel. He speaks to the church about this gospel. And he talks about his life and his calling as gospel life. That he lives for and is partnered with people for the gospel. For the gospel. For the gospel. Nine times. So I start to think, hmm, I wonder if potentially some of the fuel is this gospel. A word meaning good news. An idea that Paul, at different points, begins to break down, even in this letter, but certainly in his other letters. But here in this letter, I love when this part, famous part of the passage, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You can hear Father Stephen's teach from last night. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord, to the glory of the Father. As a gospel. We'll keep touching some other passages as we go here that, that, that articulate this gospel. And certainly I would suggest that part of the fuel that's burning in Paul is this gospel, which in Romans he says, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God and the salvation. It'll change people's But maybe more importantly, or on the nose, it's important to realize that nine times he uses this word gospel, but 37 times he speaks the name of Christ. 37 times in four short chapters. Over and over, like to read it, when you read it, read it out loud, and you'll see, it'll start to hit you how many times you're, he's speaking the name of of Jesus.
Paul's in, in, in prison. <laughs> I just bring us back to this. And in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 1, he says this incredible thing. He says to the church of Philippi who are concerned for him, catch this, guys, my imprisonment is for Christ. There he is in a space that I feel like I would struggle to hold on to this. And he wants the church to know, don't misunderstand what's happening. My imprisonment is for Christ. Verses 20 to 21 of that same chapter. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. He's asking him, please pray for me in this. Like, this imprisonment is for Christ, but I love Paul's honesty. It's not easy. <laughs> right? So here's my prayer. My eager expectation and my hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Whether by life or by death. And we have to sit back and realize he's not just in jail. He doesn't know how this is ending. There's a real chance that he's on death row. And Paul says, even that doesn't change it. My prayer, my expectation, my confident hope is that Christ would burn in my bones like a fire. For me to live is Christ, Paul says, and to die would be gain. And I think this fuel then I would say, and I've said it before, that the gospel is not just an idea. It's not a religious philosophy. It's not a set of rules. The gospel is a person. The good news took on flesh and dwelt among us. The gospel is Christ. And if there's a fire in Paul's bones, that's it. From the moment he encountered him on that road. Now, Paul's life also teaches us that the fuel matters. You don't want the wrong fuel in a fire. You ever been at a bonfire when some goofball throws some trash into the, into the bonfire? <laughs> Everybody's like, what are you doing? You know, because now we all got to back away from the fire. The fire has not, it, this beautiful thing that's creating community and warmth and we can cook marshmallows. It's just, boom, it's become toxic. And it's either going to drive people away or be destructive for those who don't. Like throw, you know, one of the, you ever uh, seen videos of a tire fire? Oh man, they burn. And they burn forever. It's great fuel in a way. But if you're at a bonfire and somebody throws a spare tire in the fire, you're not happy. They just ruined the whole thing. Paul's life teaches us this. Paul always had a fire in his bones. But that fire, that zeal was driving him to the point at which the God of the universe literally stops him in his steps and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? The fire in his bones was against God, not from him. And so praise God in his grace and his mercy. He pulls Paul pulls Paul into this beautiful process of losing his sight and having it regained and hearing. And a man comes to Paul, and this is where it gets real. It's not this kind of like out there impossible thing to say. A man comes to Paul, and one of the things God asks him to do is to tell Paul what the call of God in his life is. And in that moment, God uses Ananias to put fire in Paul's bones by the Holy Spirit. And Paul continues to live with the zeal. Now there is a fuel in the fire that burns, and the effect of it is, I mean, here we are, we're still talking about it. Our lives this weekend are still being shaped by the fire that burned in his bones. And the work he did to do that. Paul says the, the, the real problem is, the difference is in this fuel, is before I had a confidence, he talks about, in my flesh. 
Before my confidence, my zeal, the fuel was about righteousness of my own. And praise God, I'm free from it. Now the fire burns with the righteousness of Christ. I have died. Christ lives. So let's go. Ooh. So fire, a fire needs fuel. It's gotta, something's got to burn. And Paul then comes and he says to the, to the church, and let's read verse, Philippians 1 verse 27 to get a theme verse for this weekend. Only let the manner of life your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, if I could sum up my desire for you, it's that the fire that burns in my bones would burn in yours. Second thing that a fire needs, and I couldn't figure out which one to put first because they kind of do this a bit. But a fire has to be, I would call it this, a fire has to be set and ignited. Right? Like when I walked into that cabin, it was freezing cold. Why? Because there's, there's no fire. And I can fill the box with fuel, but if I don't, you know, it's just simple, but if I don't light it, I... I'm still freezing. Like there's no, the fire has to be set, the fuel has to be placed, right? And then it has to be lit. And what I love about this letter from Paul is it, it's one of these letters that really drives home this idea that when it comes to the setting and the igniting of the fire we're talking about, it's God who does this. That action is God's. When we're talking about calling, we're talking about a gospel, Christ-centered fire in our bones, that is not something you do. You participate. We took time to open our lives up and to posture our hearts. There's things we do in response to this, but the setting and the igniting, the lighting, is the act of God. Let me read you a few different verses from this letter. Um, so we'll look at Philippians 1, verse 6 and 7. I am sure of this, Paul says to the church. I love it when he says stuff like that. I'm sure of this. This is a total rabbit trail. But how often do you bump into people in our day and age in Canada who are sure of much? Let it be different of the people of God. I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will, be, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says this fire in your bones is a grace. It's a gift. It was put there by your God. If the good work that he started in you, he will complete. Not going too much further, verse 11. Filled, he says, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. We go down to verse 29 in that same chapter. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you gift. The fire, the, the, the fuel is set and then it's ignited, lit by God. And so part of Paul's testimony in this letter is he says, here's the reality of what you see here in me, this fire in my bones. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of from God that depends on faith. This fire in my bones, this righteousness that burns, this godliness that burns is from God and fully dependent on my faith in Him. This is really important to catch when we're going to talk about calling. 
Otherwise, our callings start to take us out. If you think you set and lit the fire, or you did set and light the fire, guess who's responsible for it? I think probably one of the men in my life that has most consistently reminded me of that is Brian. It was an early conversation we had when one day Brian says to me, kind of like rhetorical question, laughing, but really mentoring a bit. You're, you're done. You're not building your kingdom, are you? Like, we're not... Right. But when we remember that it's not about me, it's Christ in me. The fire was set and lit by him. We can, first of all, count that it was the right fuel, because he set it. And that the fire that burns, the zeal, the conviction, the passion we have comes from him. And I, I, I look at the scriptures and I see these incredible moments we've been talking as a parish council and praying. And as I've been looking, you know, Exodus 3, chapter 2, here's Moses. He's, he's you know, left Egypt and he's, he's at uh, his father-in-law's and he's working with And he goes up on a mountain and all of a sudden a bush lights on fire. Boom. God sets fire. And he begins to speak to Moses. Moses goes then out of that place and he begins to walk in the call of God as this fire is figuratively, right? Like literally, but also figuratively. There's a fire gets set in Moses' bones that day. You don't do what Moses does after this moment if something didn't get lit in you. Like what he does is, it, it's just suicide. Like you, this, there's no way to look at what Moses does and think it's going to go any way the way it did, right? That should have ended before it started. But there's a fire in his bones, and so he walks in. He tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And he thinks, what is going to happen now? And he goes, it doesn't matter. It's not on me. It's on the one who set the fire. And so God begins to move. And that's what the plagues are. That's God going, he's bringing voice, but it ain't him. I'm saying, let my people go. So they let them go, and they begin to walk through the wilderness. And as they walk through the wilderness, you know what it says? You can look, you can look. It's Exodus chapter 13, verse 22 is the specific, but Exodus 13, that the people of God walked, and during the day they were followed by a pillar of cloud, and at night, a pillar of fire. That nobody set. God did that. God sets fires. And throughout the history of the people of God, when God sets fire, when God does this, it's, he does it in a way that shows one thing predominantly, and it is, this is my people, I am their God, and I'm with them. Argue with that. Pillar of fire. I just, what was that like? Wow. You know. Just, we're going to die out here. I just think, just point at the pillar. Uh, I think we're okay. God comes and he says he's fired. But the story that gripped my heart this week as I sat most was this one. Elijah the prophet. <laughs> Just like the worst season of any man's life in the history. You know, I think Jesus would be the only one who had it worse. All the prophets around him are dying. Everyone, he, like, it's just, it's a, it's a gong show. And he keeps being called by God to say the wrong thing to the king. He just, he just keeps being asked to, the fire in his bones keeps causing him to do, uh. but it brings him to this moment where it's kind of the showdown. You remember this? It's uh, 2 Chronicles, I think. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And Elijah steps up and the fire in his bones takes on physical form. He says, okay, here's the deal. Let's, let's have it out. Set an altar. Do whatever you want to do. You can, you can do whatever you need to do to set it up. You can, I think he would have been fine if they poured gas on it. He was like, you do whatever you want to do. He says, the only thing you're not allowed to do is you can't, you can't spark a match. And we're going to call on God to do that part. And so they do. And you talk about zeal. There's a fire in these guys' bones too. Like you read it, it's actually kind of disturbing. The lengths they go to to try and get God to light their altar on fire. They just go and go. Hours and hours and hours and hours. And Elijah just lets it go. He's like, you're just making my point. Let it go, let it go. Till finally Elijah goes, are we done? Like, guys, I think you can, this is not happening. He says, my turn. 
So they set the altar, and Elijah says, I want to make sure the point is obvious. Somebody get water. And they drown this thing in water. Like they just saturate it to the point at which there's a trench now around the outside of the altar that's full of water. And Elijah steps back and he prays a simple prayer. And fire from heaven lights that altar on fire. And it comes like we talked about last night, like a consuming fire. It comes with such power and with such heat that the writer of Chronicles wants us to know that the water in the trench was drank up. And the beautiful thing is that the result is that everyone who's there and witnesses this says, Ah, the Lord, He is God. The fire in our bones needs to be set and ignited in a very similar way. Not by human hands. It's not, otherwise it becomes dependent on our skill sets and you know, how we feel on a certain day and the amount of energy we have and how the year is going. I mean, Elijah's having a bad time. I mean, even right after this, it, he has a pretty rough go. Right? It's not about Elijah. God sets fire. And I think in a way, God's not just trying to show us this one kind of undetached, this detached event. He's trying to say, this is part of who I am. This is what I do. And I'll set this fire in your bones. And so this is the second time I'd like us to pause and pray. Because we came into this weekend, part of my prayer around this idea was that God would do, move in two ways in, in, in his power. God is a God of power. And his power takes on sometimes a creative form. Like the, the creation is so incredible. You've got one of my newest best friends, Willa, in the back. You know, I hold Willa and I just think, wow, God, that is amazing. And that you brought that into being is awe-inspiring. The power of God in creation doesn't um, restrict itself to the moment of creation. It is always at work in our lives. And so when it comes to calling today, I'd like us to pause and to pray and to just ask God if there's any way in which he wants to do a creative work in me today, if there's places of calling or things that he wants me to understand about how he's made me and how he wants me to, to burn this fuel, what it looks like for me to walk with this fire in my bones, that he would speak. So we're just going to take a moment. We're going to quiet our hearts. I'm going to pray a simple prayer and just give you a moment to listen. But I'm also going to encourage you to do that throughout your life. To continue to realize we have a creative God who may in different seasons speak with inspiration and creative power to light a fire in your bones. Maybe you'll encounter a certain group of people and God will just put a fire in your bones and it will shift course of your life to carry the gospel out in that place. Maybe he'll come in a creative way to just give you a, a clarity around why he's put you where he's put you in the vocation you're in or in the family you're in. Or in the so Jesus, here we are and we pause again just to pray. We remember this moment where you came and you brought fire. You, 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 you moved in a way out of nothing the Lord created. And we ask you, Jesus, any way that you want to do creative work in us right now, any way that you want to do creative work in us as a body, any way you want to do creative work in the place of calling Jesus, if you want to set new fire in our bones, we invite you to do that. So we, we just open our lives, we open our ears Thank you, Christ, that the, the, the right fuel is in us. We pray now that you would set that fuel and that you would set fire to it.
Friends, many of you have a fire in your bones. The Lord has put it there. You've encountered Jesus. You've had times when Christ was set in your heart. And where even many of you specific ways and unique ways God has spoken to how you're to carry that good news. But the third thing that a fire needs is really important. A fire must be tended. You can't just set a fire and walk away. And when I think of tending a fire, a few things kind of stand out to me. Uh, to tend a fire means to fuel the fire. You know, I, don't, I didn't just put a log in that, in that fireplace once. I had to keep fueling that fire. Right? And I had to keep putting the right fuel into that fire. It just reminds me a little bit just of Jesus saying, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, you've got to abide. You've got to keep. Christ has to continue to be the fuel in our lives, right? You've got to allow him to keep being, uh, like, this is why we speak of, uh, of the daily office, of morning and evening prayer. This is why we talk about these things. It's not about rote or rules. or It's about tending fire. So it's about fueling faithfully that fire. It's about stirring the fire. Sometimes you've got to move some things around, right? You've got to kind of like, things just sort of get, and in our lives we have to do that. You know, when I worked at Starbucks, we would always have these things. We had all these things you had to do to be a good Starbucks employee, and one of them, they've changed this, which I'm actually happy for everybody that works there, but back in the day you had to wear khaki pants and a black, you had this uniform, you know, and so you all, you know, you did the best not to look like a dork, but it was kind of hard. Um, and so, of course, there was this thing inside of all the employees that continually wanted to push that limit as much as they could get away with. And so over and over again, every four to six months, we would have to, as managers, we would kind of have to crack down on uniforms again. Right? It was just like you had to stir the fire. You had to kind of like move things around, just adjust, you know. And then we'd get that uniform thing out, and we'd realize, oh, now we've got to talk to them about their lateness. Everybody's showing up five minutes late for their shifts. So you go back over here, you start talking about this. And, then you're, and you're just stirring the fire to keep this Starbucks employee, you know, an effective Starbucks employee. And that's better for them. It's better for everybody, right? It's very similar to the stupidness fire in our hearts. We have to, you know, when I'm taking care of that fire, I've got to move it around a bit. You've got to stir it. So you've you, you got to fuel it. You've got to stir it. But you have to contain a fire. So for me, it was a, there's a um, beautiful little um, what do you call it? stove there, right? So that stove contains the fire. And that containment is a big part of its effectiveness. A campfire. There's a reason why we have a ring around a campfire. It's not just because it makes it look more picturesque, right? Why do we contain a fire? Because we only want the fire to burn there, <laughs> right? We want there to be some, some, some uh, form, some structure to what's happening here. That's important for that fire to be effective. So we need to contain fire, but part of tending it also is we need to protect fire. And, and I, I, just as a side note, probably no more than when you're first lighting it. Right? You ever, you, you ever light, you ever had this moment, you know, you light the fire and it just goes, and you're thinking, perfect, and you walk away, and, you know, the wind is blowing or it's raining or something, and you turn back around and it's gone out. Right? Sometimes God sets fire in our lives. We need to protect those things. We need to cover those things. So tending kind of has these dynamics to it. Here's the question that I began to ask myself. Is it related to calling? Is it related to the fire of God, this, of Christ in me, of this place of calling, this fire in my bones? I, I thought, how did I lose it? How did I lose, not lose, I didn't lose the call of God in my life, but I lost a sense of connectedness to it. I had lost a sense of clarity around it. I was starting to feel, and so the, the result is I started to get really frustrated. Why, you know, you start out, why are we doing this? And little things, little, um, you know, trouble or something that can go your way. Oh man, you just lose it. Because it's turned into something. So I'm sitting in this place, I'm saying, how did we get here? My question is, God, then if you're starting to do a work in me right now, I don't want that to be temporary. My prayer right now is that is the Lord setting fire in my bones. He would set a fire in my bones and that from here to the grave, I would be able to continue to watch that fire burn. Right? So the question becomes, 
if I've got to tend this fire now, well, I, that, I just gave it away. Uh, do I? Who tends the fire? That's a good question. So if the fuel is Christ, and the one who lights the fire is Christ, why then do we have this tendency to think that at this point, the job becomes mine? And I would like to say, in answer to this question, who tends the fire, that there's a bit of a partnership happening. I actually think the answer is threefold. But it starts here, and it has to start here. Christ fuels the fire. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He didn't set the fire and walk away. He sets the fire, and he shows up every day, wanting and ready to tend to it. I said it when we started today. If there's a presence issue, it's not his, it's mine. It's God who works in you, Paul says, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Christ tends that fire. That's the most important answer to the question. But then, with that firmly in grip, I want to point two other things out from Paul's witness and from this letter. Christ tends the fire, but by his providence, and one of the major ways he does it, is I would say that it is, we actually can't, because of the way God's chose to do this, the church tends the fire. He set it up that way. That your calling, that that fire in your bones was not meant to be a solo sport. It was never meant to be walked out in an individualized way. Detached from the person beside you. If I'm going to live with fire in my bones, I need friends like Brian who have fire in his bones. If we're going to live out the call of God on our lives and to do it effectively, I have to have people in my life who will fan and tend that fire, who will commit to say, Chad, I will help to fuel that fire. I will help to stir that fire. Grant is another dear friend who tends the fire in my bones. And I, probably this year, without him, I don't know how hot it would be burning. And I watched this morning, Stephen came and told me after, I, I warned him, I said, get ready to have your fire tended. And Stephen came to me this morning and he says, oh man, that, that guy is a supernatural encourager. <laughs> he tends the fire. What a gift. We need each other. And we see this in Paul's example because this letter, if you look right at the very first, look at the first verse of Philippians' letter. Who writes, who's this letter from? Somebody have their Bible there? Can you see it? Paul and Timothy. Paul's not a rogue agent. Sometimes we start thinking it's the Apostle Paul. Take a minute and go through his letters and see how many people he's in partnership with by name. End of this letter, he's naming all kinds of people. And part of the reason he's writing this letter is to thank the Philippian church for the way they're tending the fire in his heart. Thank you. Because they took up financial offering and sent it to him in prison to care for him. Paul needs them. He's not, he's not even as the Apostle Paul, the founder of that church, the, I mean, you read it, he is a father, he's leading, he's not putting any of that down, but he is... Not at all ashamed to say, I cannot do this. And I'm not just paying lip service. I cannot do this without you. Let me give you an example, he says. Timothy. Wow. And in Philippians, he talks about Timothy. There's a whole chunk. And he just sings his praise. He just says, man, this young man is a gift to me. He is so faithful to the gospel. I cannot wait to get him your way. You're going to be really blessed when I can get him over to you. This man has the fire in his bones. 
I would leave you with this, and if you, I hope you get more out of this time than this, but I, if you didn't get any more than this, I would be happy this morning. Stephen can take care of the rest. Calling, your calling, is a shared calling. You don't own it, and it will not work in isolation. You do not carry the fullness of God's life, grace, gift to the world. You don't. Paul's very clear on this all over the scripture. This church is like a body, many parts. And the only way it works is when we do it together. I need you. I can't say to Stephen, I don't need you. And boy, well, Stephen's not a great example. I, I, could, I won't name the names that are, that tempt me to say, I don't need that guy. This makes this harder. Paul says, you don't get it. That's actually, you, you act, it's actually impossibility. It just doesn't work. You are one. Why? Because Christ is in you, and Christ is in your brother. Christ is in your sister. And Christ is given to each one, Paul says, gifts. And together, as we begin to recognize that, Jan and I, over more and more, are experiencing the life and the joy of this in our home and in our marriage. That together, we have a calling. I certainly have a personal, unique, individual sense of calling and what God's called me to and what it looks like to walk it out, and it's important. What I'm trying to say is, that it is impossible, it will not come out in the intended way of God if I cannot lay that down and submit that piece of my calling to Jana and recognize that so does she, and together we have a calling. So husbands and wives, when you said I do, the Bible tells us two became one. That means calling. For two to become one, one and one have to let some things go. Those of us who have done marriage counseling, this is we do we talk about this all the time, right? Those of us who are trying to walk out friendships and relationships with employers that drive us crazy, and well, you realize I'm going to have to really be, I'm going to have to actually lay my life down, right? And that includes calling. Sometimes I think Christians are a little like the Blues Brothers. Um, some of you younger will be like, what's that? Some of you older might. Uh, but the, the, this is kind of this crazy comedy movie, but they, were, they would always say, I'm on a mission from God. You know, like they had this, God had shown them this stalling, and they, they, it was just their ticket to ride, you know? Oh, man, how many, how many times have I done it in my life? How many times have we, we have this calling from God, and it becomes this ticket to railroad, or railroad our way through things? It's like, guys, that is, it, it, you've just completely misunderstood how this works. He hasn't called, he has called you, but that only has any validity or works or makes any sense inside of the greater picture in that he has called us. That we are the body of Christ. You're not the body of Christ. And that in the same way that yes, even was dead on, we image Christ. We don't in the fullness and the intention of God by his design unless we do it together. Sarah's going to teach this afternoon, I'm incredibly excited, about what it is to um, our heart at VIA, but just I think the heart of Christ for his bride to see women raised up and released in their calling. And we didn't plan another breakout because I want you all to come to that teach. Because we all need to catch this, that together, male and female, we image God. We need to learn what it is to share our lives and our callings. And I'll make you a promise today. My greatest fear for a long time, especially when I was young, was that if I began to lay my calling down for the sake of another, if I began to share it and to make room and to admit that somehow it would mean I didn't get to do the things that, that the fire in my bones would get neglected, I, I'm going to make you a promise based on Scripture first. But I can testify to it in my experience. I have never had this much fun in the place of my calling. And the more that I partner, the more I lay it down, the more I enter into this idea that that fire in my bones has to be tended by the church. 
There needs to be a church-centeredness to my life. And when I say that, some of you might not know me well enough to know, many of you know, I don't mean, when I say church-centeredness, I'm not talking program. I'm not talking, you know, institution in the way that it's become like kind of a bit of a swear word or something. We hate this idea, you know? So you go whatever. No, but I do mean structure. I do mean institution in the sense of a form of an intention of God, of a bringing together of the people of God to live with a fire in their bones. And there needs to be a church-centeredness in our lives. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the church. And if you're standing off to the side of it or trying to, and sometimes we are so tempted to, because the church misunderstands us and we or can't figure out how to fit us into the, you know, I, I just can't give up on fighting to fix that rather than abandon it. To be committed to say, this is Christ's church, and he made us a big promise when he said, this is my church, I'll build it, and the gates of hell won't stand against it. So if you're frustrated with the church, my, my, my encouragement to you is to say, um, I get it. Be that honest. But would you join me in praying that the Lord would come and set a fire in our bones, set a fire in her bones? This fire burns to the glory of God, but when it burns, the fire of God, this is one of the other ways that fire gets spoke of with God, it consumes. And when the fire of God burns, what's left is what we wanted. And what we didn't want is burned. If a fire is untended, it will do one of two things. An untended fire will burn out, or it'll burn wild. When I was a kid, a friend of mine, we, like I said, we thought fire was pretty fun. And we would take wooden matches and we would, we would like throw them off the edge of the box so they would light as they went and we'd throw them at each other, you know? And uh, we just thought this was great fun. Every once in a while it would leave a little hole in a jacket or something and that was like just, oh, you know, whoa, crap, we're going to get you. Just little boys being boys. Until one day he threw one at me and it, it hit the grass and didn't go out. And it lit the grass on fire, and we almost, he lived on like 180 acres, and we almost burned it to the ground. His dad, by the providence of God, came down there like, you know, a kilometer and a half driveway just, and helped us put it out. Or we, I think we would have, anyway, scary. When fire burns wild, something meant for good can do incredible damage. Part of, remember what I said, part of tending fire is containing it. And again, God has set up a way. And the church is part of that gift. When we do life together, it's one of the ways God tends the fire. So it doesn't burn out. And so it doesn't burn wild. The fire is tended by Christ. It's tended by the people of God and by the church. And finally, the fire is tended by you. You do have an important responsibility to tend the fire of God in you. And I, I'd actually would more than anywhere point to the letter of Paul to Timothy really briefly before I finish with my last point, which will be a bit shorter. Um, but in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says to, to uh, Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. There's been a fire set in your bones. Timothy, fan that flame. Just a little ways down in verse 14, he says that by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And this brings me to the final thing that fire needs to burn. Um, it's science, but it's grade two science, so don't get too impressed. Fire has to have oxygen to burn. If fire doesn't get oxygen, it's out. 
I mean, this is some of the fun we used to have with fire. We would light them and then cover them, you know, and wait till they, you know, it is, you deprive a fire of oxygen and it'll go out. Fire must have oxygen to burn. You can put all the fuel in the world into a fire. God can come and he can breathe on it by his spirit. He can light a fire. He can move in power. And we can, we can tend, we can stir it with a stick, we can do all... But if we deprive it of oxygen, you, that fire doesn't even take long. You watch that effect so fast. When I was at the uh, cabin, if I... Just simple, simple. If you take that door, Jonathan knows the cabin. If you take the door on that fireplace and you latch it shut, it closes it and it gets oxygen, but only enough that it burns nice and slow. If it starts to go out, I just move that handle and it opens the door like you can't even see, but it opens it just a bit and inside of moments, that sucker's raging because I gave it oxygen. And I would say this, that when we talk about oxygen, I think the, the metaphorical piece the Lord began to speak to me of is this is what Paul is speaking of when he speaks of the Spirit. This is about the Holy Spirit coming. And we come back to where I started, where um, Thad said to me, do you have a call of God in your life and over your life that's been set there like a fire in your bones by the Holy Spirit? In Philippians 3.3, 3, Paul says, we are the circumcision. He's, right before this, he says, don't, don't let stuff um, deprive your fire of oxygen. Like these guys who are coming and saying, you all got to get circumcised if you really love Jesus. Like, we are the circumcision. A people who worship by the Spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul wants us to understand that by his own life and experience and, and, in, and, in, and encounter with Jesus, that he has learned that if we live by the flesh, we will die. Very quickly, it's like the fire will be deprived of oxygen and we just like. Nothing's changed on God's part. I want to say to you today, if the, if, if the fire is dying because you have been deprived of oxygen in the place of your relationship with Jesus and the place of the call of God on your life, there, you, are not in, you are not in trouble. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer and it's this, Holy Spirit, come. You just got to crack that door for a second and let the Spirit of God come again. The same Spirit who set that fire and who lit it, He's not gone anywhere. The problem's not on His end. But there are all kinds of things in this life that seek to deprive us of oxygen, that seek to take this fire in our bones and put it out. This is the tragedy and the weight of sin. This is why it matters. It's why we have to talk about it. It's why we make consistent space for confession. Because sin will just choke out the fire of God in you. When Jesus says repent, it's not because he's ticked. It's not because he's just had enough of you. It's because he loves you. And he can't stand to see the fire in your bones choked out. Paul speaks throughout the letter to these competing voices. People who have strayed from the faith and who are even beginning to be like tires in the campfire. Paul's like, guys, just don't even go there. It will choke out the fire. We live in an incredible time in the history of humanity right now as it relates to the kind of um, you know, deprivation of oxygen, the, the, the opposition we face just on cultural levels. And it's hitting us as people of God. It's, it's hitting us in the church. And it's causing us to, to question and to wonder, 
Is, is he truly who he says he is? Am I truly who he says I am? Is it, we, it's, this, it's, it's heavy, it's hard, it's coming fast. And if we, will, if we fix our eyes there, it will just be like shutting off the flow of oxygen. If we begin to live out of self-provision, if we begin to be the one who authors and sustains our own calling, if this fire becomes about my glory, if the fire that burns in me is more about Chad than it is about how Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that we will begin to experience the most frustrating reality we could experience in relationship to God and to calling. And that is trying to keep a fire going without oxygen. Some of you are tired, some of you are distraught and just done. And so the third thing I want to pray about is this. Some of you don't need as much a creative miracle today, you need a resurrection miracle. It's not about needing God to come in and speak to the call of God on your life for the first time. It's about Him coming in the power of the resurrection to breathe by His Spirit on that fire. And to kindle in you again a love for the church. To kindle in you again a love for the lost. To, continue, to, to kindle in you again a belief, a hope, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That it could actually make a difference in the brokenness of our world. And that he has uniquely and beautifully put a fire in your bones with which to burn for the sake of Christ. Well, good news, he's a God of resurrection power. The, the invitation of Jesus today is, is, is to lay down your burden. So we're here, if you're tired this morning, if you're disillusioned, if you're confused, if, if you're frustrated, my invitation to you is really one of repentance. It's to turn from anywhere where calling has, has, has been deprived of oxygen and to come to the one who breathes life into the fire in our bones. 